0: You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Right now, we've had uh, graduation, or at least the end of school, right? And we are moving into summer, and so the question on our mind becomes, well, what's next in this next phase, right? And at the same time, too, we're beginning to think that society is slowly and we hope safely beginning to reopen. And so our question becomes, well, what's next in this next phase? And as I read the scripture for today, I think about those disciples, and I wonder if that was the same question on their minds. What's next for us? Because over the last uh, 50 days, they had been waiting for whatever was going to come next after the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus is alive, he's come out of the grave, and the disciples were told to wait for the promise of the Father. And they weren't sure what that meant yet. So they've been wondering What's next in this next phase? So the disciples are all together in the city of Jerusalem, and they're waiting together. And that's where we pick up our scripture for today. Be read by Carter and Liam. So take a listen.
1: Hi, I'm Carter. And I'm Liam. And we're happy to share the scripture with you today. This is Acts 2, 1 through 4. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from the heaven, like howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the spirits enabled them to speak. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this, listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joab. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirits on all people. Your sons and daughters daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams, even upon my servants, men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness, and the moon will be changed into blood. Before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
0: Thank you guys for reading the scripture for us this morning. And that's what I want to focus on this morning is this idea of this day of Pentecost. And what does that experience back then tell us for today? And how does their experience shape our experience as followers of Jesus this this morning and this week? So the first thing I want to focus on is this idea of the flames of individual fire that rested on each one of them. It says the flames of individual fire. And I'd love to ask you this question here. What was the most, what would you say is the most impressive evidence of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? What stuck out to you the most? Maybe it was the sudden and mysterious wind, uh, the flames of fire that came to rest on each one of them. What did that look like? The believers all speaking in other languages. The crowd hearing the disciples and declaring the wonders of God in their own language. Maybe it was the giving of prophecies and visions and dreams to all God's people. Maybe it was the response that more than 3,000 believers were added to the church that day. What stands out to you the most about that story? For me, as I think about it this year, the, the part that sticks out to me the most are the individual flames of fire. Every one of these is a is a sermon in itself and a lesson in itself for us as followers of Jesus. But the one that really stuck out to me this year were these individual flames of fire that rested on each individual person. And and as I read that particular scripture, I noticed a couple of things. The first thing is that Luke tells us that they were individual flames of fire. That's kind of an interesting way to say that. And he adds right after that, rested on each one of them. And so whenever you see a repetition, something repeat in the Bible, the same phrase or idea or concept pop up again, you want to pay attention to that. It means the author is trying to get our attention and say, hey, 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 take a look at this. And as I noticed that, I was reminded that this is the moment where the Holy Spirit goes from one to many or to all. We talked about last week how in the past the Holy Spirit most often uh, dwelled with one person at a time. Perhaps it was a, a king or a ruler in the house of Israel, or it was on one of the prophets. But it was understood that the, that the Spirit of God, as they called it in the Old Testament, the breath of God, dwelt with one person. And what's amazing about this And that Luke wants to make sure that we catch is that these are individual flames and the flame represents the spirit of God rested on each one of them, on every single believer, every single one who was there that day, every single disciple rests upon each one of them. And so what we see is that this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all believers, it wouldn't just be for for pastors, as we might expect, or or missionaries or apostles. No, it wasn't just for those that we think of as as the professional Christians or the professional followers of Jesus. What this means is that the Spirit empowers every single person to do ministry and to live for Jesus. And what we're going to see in this is that the Holy Spirit Sends every one of us to new places to share the good news of God. And this morning, I'm thinking in particular about our seniors who will be going off to new places and to doing new things. I'm thinking of the other graduates, whether it's graduating into elementary school or graduating into middle or graduating into high school or or college graduates. I'm thinking about all those who have marked that moment and a reminder that the Holy Spirit is sending you into a new place to live and to share the good news for others. The message that God's Spirit rests on all who call out on the name of Jesus. And that is radically different than the past of history, and that's the excitement of Pentecost Sunday. That it's not just adults, but it's also children. It's the poor and the rich. It's The way that God is breaking down the barriers that our society has built up over time as a way of saying the Spirit of God doesn't see the same distinctions that we label each other with. The Spirit of God sees persons and individuals, and that we are one in Christ Jesus. And I love how after that, that the Scripture tells us that they spoke in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. That's their in verse four. And, and I'm reminded that when we first moved to Winter Garden a few years ago, one of the first friends that we met in our neighborhood uh, was an, another couple, and they had um, a daughter who was a little bit younger than ours. And uh, the wife spoke Portuguese, and she was learning English. And she and Melanie got to know each other as we played on the playground. Remember back in the day when we went out and played on the playgrounds, right? Remember, remember those days? And uh, I loved watching how they built that relationship together and how they did that, because for them, what they did was they would text back and forth to each other. Uh, She would text in, in Portuguese to Melanie, and Melanie would copy and paste that into Google Translate, translate to English, and then write her response, translate that into Portuguese, and to send it back to her. And we kept thinking that there must be a more efficient way to do this, but what I kept seeing in that relationship was a desire to know the other person and to not just expect them to do our language that we have here. It was a valuing of each individual language and each individual person and a desire to speak in the heart's language. And that's what we see here on the day of Pentecost. God doesn't show up and just say, "All right, everybody learn Aramaic so you can hear the good news in this language, this local language. No, it tells us if we have read on this morning that that, the people who were gathered together in Jerusalem that day heard the good news in their own language, whether they were Parthians or Medes or Eliamites or residents of Mesopotamia or, or Judea or Cappadocia or Pontius or Asia. They heard the good news in their heart's language. What a difference that must have made for them that day. This tells us that that God is the originator of all this and that God desires to speak into the hearts and into the unique context of all the individuals. And that God is busy translating the message for all the people into the world. And the way that this happens is by the Holy Spirit who fills this place as a flame and, and as a rushing wind. And as I thought about this passage for the rest of the week, I was reminded that the word here for the Spirit in the Old Testament is the word ruach, ruach. And we've talked about that in worship before, you know, back in the day when we used to gather in person. And that word there means the breath of God. So from the earliest days, way back in Genesis, it tells us that it was the breath of God that breathed life and i kept thinking this week what does it mean for us as people who are gathered today celebrating the day when the breath of god filled the disciples and the believers when we've just heard the words of george floyd saying i can't breathe i can't breathe how do we reconcile how do we reconcile those differences and where we are in the world when we recognize that what god was doing was sending breath and sending life. And we as humans are, are taking that breath from others. Well, what I want to share this morning is not a political thought or anything like that. What I want to share is my reflection as a pastor, as a, as a someone who aspires to be a theologian and to understand God's Word and to communicate that to us. And what I see here in the Scripture is that after the breath of God fills Peter— and he can breathe in the Holy Spirit, what Peter does next, and what uh, Liam and Carter read for us, was that he begins to proclaim the good news of God, to proclaim that now in this day and age, that salvation is open to all. And we might call that an, an inward change in our lives, but it doesn't stop there. No, no, no. For the disciples, what happens next is that they not only come to believe in Jesus in their own hearts and in their own lives and in their own personal space. But that changes how they engage the world around them. And so we see, for example, as the scriptures continue, that they begin to take their life as a community and share things together and to live that outwardly. And that when Peter is filled with the breath of God, it changes who he is inside. And it changes how he engages the world on the outside. And so I think about for us as a church what does it mean for us as the church not just citrus but all churches to be people who breathe life back into the world and who give life where life and breath are being taken away by violent force. How do we hear the cries of those who are saying I can't breathe and respond? And and I commend so many people who, who have posted on Facebook and and come out and named it for what it is, which is just outright racism. Many of us, I believe, are left wondering now that I've posted on Facebook, or as we did just three weeks ago when we prayed uh, for the family of Ahmad Arbery. Now that we've shared our thoughts on Facebook, what do we do next? How do we take some kind of solid and concrete action? So a change against racism isn't just how we look at our own lives and how we have contributed to that, maybe by being complacent, but also affecting change in the world around us. If you're not sure where to begin, I want to speak to you as a, recognizing that I am a a white male with a great deal of privilege simply because of those two things. And I'd like to invite you, um, if you are in particular white, to read a book along with me. Uh, The book is called White Fragility. White Fragility. The subtitle there is, Why is it so hard for white people to talk about racism? Uh, It's written by Robin D'Angelo. Robin D'Angelo, you can find it on Amazon. You can download a free chapter to Kindle and get started. But this is going to help us take next steps from when we've been complacent or haven't known what to do in the face of racism to begin to stand up and to breathe life back into the world. So I want to encourage you, if you'd like to read that book along with me, let me know. You can do that privately in an email or, or share it here. But that is a step that we can take together towards breathing life. And that's exactly what happens here in our scriptures today. We see that Peter is proclaiming the good news. And I, I like that word because maybe you've heard this word before, gospel. And, and you're not sure, well, that sounds like maybe a, a, a gospel sing. Uh, that you might have had. But the word gospel in the Bible means good news. I've always loved the saying that if the gospel doesn't sound like good news, then it's probably not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's exactly what this breath of life living in Peter and the disciples began to do. It began to produce good news for those who heard it. Uh, It was this message here that we see in Acts 2.21. The good news is that in everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that the idea is that this gospel message will be preached worldwide. And by many accounts, the message of Jesus Christ has already gone throughout the world. And yes, there are still people and places in the world who have not heard it for the first time. Uh, But I was struck by this particular quote this week. Reggie Campbell says this, Many people have heard the gospel, but not many people have seen the gospel. Can I get an amen on that? Many people have heard the gospel preached to them, maybe preached at them. But I think there's still a lot of people in the world today who haven't seen the good news of Jesus Christ tangibly lived out for them and with them and alongside of them in a way that doesn't just seek to change us, from non-believers to believers, but also seeks to engage us in the world beyond ourselves, addressing the realities of sin and brokenness, exampled in racism, as we've seen this week and going back in our nation's history, to say that, no, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that this is not the way of God. We know that, and we can do something about that. The scales that we have here, if you could imagine kind of scales that are trying to find their balance, is that there's a balance in hearing the gospel on one side about a personal life change where we make a decision to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we recognize and we confess our sin and we begin a new life together. And that is an inward expression of our faith, an inward expression of our faith. But that's not it. And Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says this. Let me get us over here. Acts chapter 2, or sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, the community of believers was one heart and one mind. None of them would say, hey, this is mine about their possessions, but they held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work in all of them. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds for the sales and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. And then it was distributed to everyone who was in need. Did you see the life change that begins to happen there? When these 3,000 come to believe in Jesus, it's not just their individual relationship with God now. No, it's it's a recognition that there are others in the community who are in need. And because of the way that I see God moving in the world, I want to help out. And so these believers were motivated. And so if they sold something, a house or a property or something like that, they brought it to the apostles because they wanted to make sure that everyone in the community had everything that they needed. I've been so encouraged during this season of of quarantine and, and of slowly reopening to see how the majority of neighbors have been caring for each other. And if there's been a need, people have met it. Many of you have given so generously to our fund to help those who maybe can't pay a mortgage or can't buy food for the week or get by because they've been furloughed through no fault of their own. And I think these are powerful examples of what it looks like to be a community of believers. It's it's about how we make this world look more like Jesus's world. About how we pray that the kingdom would come. And so I think it's true that people have heard the gospel, but they want to see the gospel. We want to see that it actually changes things around us. And so John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had this phrase. He said that he looked upon the world and saw the world as his parish. And now, back in those days, a parish was the defined boundary of a church. And so we understand our parish as the area of Horizon West. And and yes, it extends beyond that, and people connect from all over the nation and country now, and that's exciting. But we feel called to serve this Horizon West community, and that's our parish. And John Wesley said, I don't see a a boundary. I see the entire world as my parish. And so this morning, for the seniors and the graduates who are out there and thinking about what comes next— I want you to remember that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that dwelt in Peter and the other believers, dwells in you and is sending you into new places and is challenging you to to speak the good news and to live the good news, perhaps in ways that disrupt the status quo or that change long-held thoughts and practices that in the kingdom of God are just not the way that God works. God is sending each one of us maybe eventually back to a job or back into relationships with neighbors and friends. And even in this season now, this Pentecost means that we are being sent in this way. Graduates, you're being sent in new missions to your campuses. And perhaps the best way that we can do that is to simply share our own story of faith. To ask yourself the question, what has God done in my life? and that becomes the most compelling thing that you can share with someone else. You don't have to be as eloquent as Peter. You just have to share what God's done in your life, the change that he's made, the change that he's making in you. How inspiring is it for us to see someone who says, "I don't have it all together, but but I'm actually working and trying to do this. Join me in this journey." I hope that's what many of us can do who feel like we want to see racism change but we don't know where to begin because we've lived in a privileged bubble, can we begin today by saying, God, I want to do something different. I want to live differently. I want to see the gospel lived out. Would you fill me with your spirit once again and refresh me in your spirit so that I might do something to engage this world? Our society needs to see the gospel. Our neighbors need to see the gospel tangibly, and the Spirit's going to help us do that. And it's okay to not know the path forward. We just need to know that God's with us. And we know this morning, of course, that God is with us no matter what, in every up and in every down. So I'd like to invite us to ask God to help us in that process. And I'd like to invite us to join together this morning in prayer. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.